0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Good Line Podcast. I am Aaron Salvato. And I'm Brian Higgins. And we are here today to talk more about apathy. Brian, why would you say that we're doing this series on apathy? What is the point?
1: We are doing this series on apathy because what we see as a major issue amongst younger churchgoers is not that they grow to hate Jesus or they grow to outright reject the things of God or they deliberately abandon the faith. Those things do happen in in places and in pockets. But before those places and pockets occur, a lot more people go through the experience of, yeah, I've got this relationship with God thing, but what is it really doing for me right now? How does it actually play into my life? And it Becomes something that just sort of lingers in the background and what God offers us in relationship is so much more exciting and meaningful and vibrant and is worth our full attention. So we want to talk about what that major obstacle is sometimes. Just how do we get past our own apathy?
0: That's good. I fully agree that that is very much the point of this and it's something Really near and dear to my heart because there's just been so many times that I have struggled with apathy as a Christian, um, as a young Christian, as a teenager, as a young adult, as even somebody in ministry. It's like there's this this pull and this temptation, right, to the dark side. Uh, I think apathy is the dark side. It's it's when we get to this point where we're just going through the motions and we're not caring. It's this gateway to all sorts of things like sin, backsliding, and and not just that, but like missing out on all God has for us. Uh, and so hopefully you guys listening have been enjoying the episodes we've been doing on this. On this episode, what we want to do is we want to take a moment to respond to some messages we actually got from some of you guys who are the listeners. And there's one message in particular I want to respond to in this episode, and it's, It's a good enough question that got sent in that I think it just warrants an entire episode. So recently, I went on Instagram and I just asked other Christians, you know, the people that follow me on Instagram, I said, hey, how do you guys feel about apathy? What has been your biggest struggles with apathy? And then I asked them also, what have you done to overcome apathy or what have you found to be some of the biggest aids in helping overcome apathy as a Christian. And I got a really good response from a young lady who I just thought, I mean, she was very open and honest about her struggle and also had some really good insight into how to resist apathy as well. And so I just thought that I'd love to just go through what she said and take some time to discuss it. Does that sound good? Absolutely. Awesome. All right, well, let's get into it. Waking up to face the haze of apathy. Show me every grace I lost the fight to see. I'm coming around, remedy the peace of faith that broke in me. Take away the weight. And flip the so, this young lady wrote in, here's what she said. She said, I think of the line in the song, which we just played, um, the song The Rush by King's Kaleidoscope, waking up to face the haze of apathy. Show me every grace that I lost the fight to see. Remedy the peace of faith that broken me. And then she says, I'll wake up, and it's so hard to even care about reading the Bible or praying. And I know that is bad, and I want to get better, but I'm just going through the motions. And I'll put on a face for my church, or sometimes I'll even put on a face for God. It hurts when you see your friends being so passionate and you remember what it feels like, but you feel like you just can't get back to how you were. I often find that it's me holding God at arm's length instead of letting him actually be God. Reading my Bible just to check off a box instead of reading it to be changed by the text. Or praying because it's what you're supposed to do instead of actually connecting with God. That's what she says. I read that and I was just like, this resonates. (laughs) I get this. I've been here. I've felt these things. And I don't think that's a coincidence because I think most Christians, if they're honest, have gone through these things and felt these things.
1: I think it's a really good summary of what apathy looks and feels like at times. But the interesting thing to me in this is this doesn't actually describe what the word apathy really means. Yeah, that's that was actually one of my first thoughts. Yeah, like in each of these cases, there is a struggle that's happening. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, I'm not super excited to read my Bible, but I feel really bad about it. (laughs) I put on a face going to church, but I know that that's wrong. I go through the motions, but I am down on myself for going through the motions. Like that is inner conflict Mm. that I think is something that is still very common in Christian experience. But real apathy is like, I don't read my Bible and I also don't care. (laughs) I don't go to church and it also doesn't matter. I don't do anything to meet with God and it's fine. Like that's what real apathy is. This kind of inner turmoil of why am I not able to live up to the ideals that I have? That is a very different sort of thing. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean... The thing that came to my mind was she says in her letter that she wrote, I know that these things are bad and I want to get better. And when I read that, I was like, well, there you go. Like, that's not that's not full apathy. You know, apathy is when you just don't care. And this is written from the perspective of somebody who actually cares. I think a reason why this young lady writing this in feels that this is her being apathetic is because sometimes we we have in our mind this standard that we try to hold ourselves to in our Christian faith where it's like we want every day with Jesus to be a summer camp day where we just feel like I'm filled with the Spirit and I read my Bible today and it made tons of sense and it spoke directly into everything I'm going through in my life and now I feel filled with the Spirit and with mission and with guidance and I'm ready to love my neighbor and serve my neighborhood and push back darkness and all these great things and and the reality is as a christian not every day is going to be like that
1: yeah and not every day is going to be filled with the highest degree of spiritual discipline activity mm-hmm. you know i think i forget who the quote is about i, I forget if it's dl moody or if it's somebody who was like a great preacher that was a part of some awakening somewhere. I know this is really specific. It could have been Moody,
0: um, it could have been
1: many people. I think it was Moody. I like I like Moody. Let's go with Moody. Very confidently, DL <laughs> Moody once said um, that he he was like really busy during some season of ministry. There was some big problem that was going on. And the quote I remember hearing passed down was him saying, like, now I'll have to wake up two hours earlier so that I can spend time in prayer. (laughs) And it's just like you hear stuff like that and you one, it's inspiring. Yeah the The thinking of things are difficult. I need to take more time to be with Jesus, to be able to endure these difficult things. That That's an amazing perspective and it is super inspiring. The second thing it does in me is it creates, that is what it means to be a good Christian. Mm. That is what it means to have a healthy prayer life. A healthy prayer life should respond with like, I've lost my keys. Quick half hour prayer session. (laughs) Like that's what we start thinking of. And we end up creating this standard of you must be this holy to ride the (laughs) ladder to heaven or something like (laughs) we we create this. I don't know. I'm trying. We create this standard that the Bible never holds us to Hmm. that other Christians never hold us to. Or at least they shouldn't. And that Jesus or at least they shouldn't. And that Jesus never holds us to. Mm. So it's really just we're comparing ourselves against other people. And it's like, oh, I don't I don't care about reading my Bible the way that that other person cares about reading their Bible. It's like, okay, but that doesn't mean that it's over. That doesn't mean that Jesus looks at you and says, all right, well, then I guess that means you hate me. Like that's that's something we put on ourselves. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And. Okay, so there, there's a there's a Keith Green song. I, I might have quoted this in another episode, but I'll, I'll quote it again because it's good. Uh, he has a song called You Love the World and You're Avoiding Me. And uh, like I've said before, over and over again, Keith was one of those musicians, a Christian musician who didn't just write worship songs about how God fights our battles and loves us. He wrote convicting songs. Um, I, I've never seen anyone do that the way he does. So he has this one song and the lyric goes... Uh, My word sits there upon your desk, but you love your books and magazines the best. You prefer the light of your TV. You love the world and you're avoiding me. And there is, there's truth to that. In my own life, I see that at times. There's a difference between the seasons of my life where I've been like, I want to spend time with God. And I want it to be, there's this frustration because I want it to be quality time. And I know that in order for it to be quality time, I've got to have a good chunk of time because the way I'm wired, it's hard for me to get quality time with God if it's just five minutes or if it's like right when I just wake up and I'm just kind of struggling. And it's like some of my best devotional times have been like, I go and drive out to a field and I've got my Bible and I'm sitting there in nature or I'm going on this really long walk and praying and, you know, so... There's a difference between that, like being frustrated because it's like, I want to spend time with God, but I'm struggling or I feel like I'm not getting a lot out of it. And then the times where you're just like, I really just don't want to spend time with God. I'd rather do other things like that's more of the apathetic thing. And and I don't think that that's where this writer's coming from in what she's saying. Um, But I get I get both things because I've been through both things.
1: I agree. I, I do think that it's important to point out we're not saying one is fixable and the other is you're doomed. I think they're just two different experiences of what we might classify as being apathetic. Yeah. And and I think to some extent she begins to hit on the path forward in the end of her comments as she's talking about reading to check off the box versus reading to be changed by the text yeah. or praying because it's what we're supposed to do instead of actually connecting with God you know the the real struggle I find in trying to minister to people in an apathetic space or trying to get past apathy myself is in other venues of life I never have to make myself care about things yeah you know, like for the most part, if I don't care about something, I just don't do it, and and it's fine. And you know, like if you don't care about a TV show, you don't sit there and feel guilty about not caring about it. Yeah. You know, weeks down the line. Yes. Like I have seen like a grand total of three episodes of The Mandalorian. <laughs> And it's and it's fine. I love it doesn't it, dude. I
0: care. I am it, not apathetic about the Mandalorian, but I understand <laughs> if you are.
1: Which, which, yeah, that's that's totally like I am not knocking the show. Like I know a lot of people that really care about it. And so that's exactly the thing. If you're into it, that's great. Ba- Baby Yoda. If you are not into Baby Yoda's it. Baby Yoda is pretty cute, right? Baby Yoda is cool. He's so cool. I'm, I'm pro Baby Yoda. Yeah. yeah. But like if you're into something that's awesome. If you're not into it, who cares? Yeah. Your life goes on just fine. I, so like we don't have good training for ourselves in when something is important but I don't care about it. Here is how I make myself care about it. Like that's a very strange concept when you look at anything else in human experience.
0: Yeah, I I grew up in a home of basketball lovers. I am not a basketball lover and I have never once felt guilty for not watching a basketball game mm-hmm. <laughs> the last time i watched an actual basketball game all the way through was when michael jordan still played for the chicago bulls um and wow yeah okay because i he was a hero of mine because he was a hero of my dad's you know and then at some point i realized i don't actually care about this he was thing. pretty good <laughs> yeah he's all right um he was pretty good i mean he was you see that movie space jam he was great in space jam uh-huh.
1: I don't know about his uh, NBA career, but (laughs) it was great, Space Jam. As someone who cares about sports, I love the idea of your top thing (laughs) in the what makes Michael Jordan great was acted alongside bugs.
0: (laughs) My list is Space Jam, golf, baseball, and (laughs) Chicago Bulls. See, I know a little bit. I know a little bit of sports trivia there. You know the pieces. I know the rise and fall of Michael Jordan when he went from the best basketball player to mediocre golfer. But uh, anyway, okay, so here's the thing I want to get at. We're talking about apathy. We're talking about that place you find yourself in where it's like, I feel like I'm just going through the motions and I don't like it and I want to get better. Here's actually, I think, where you can identify the apathy. I think you can identify it where even if you find yourself caring about something... And seeing a problem and feeling very bad about the problem. If you're not willing to try to make things better and put in some effort on your part, that's, I think, where the apathy is. And I've gone through that. There's been times in my life where I'm like, I am not healthy. Like, I'm I'm a little bit overweight. I don't feel great. I feel kind of my body feels kind of icky. I don't like this. Like, I'm, not, it's not that I'm apathetic about it, right? Like, I care. I'm not just sitting around going, oh, I'm fine. You know, everything's great. I'm like, no, there's a problem. But then there's been times where I'm like, but I don't want to exercise. I don't want to change my diet. And that's where there's this disconnect where it's like, I care, but I don't actually care because I'm not willing to do anything. And I've I've never been one to be somebody where it's like, you have to fix your relationship with the Lord. You have to just stop sinning. You have to just get your life together and then God will love you. (laughs) Not at all. Um, I think God loves us despite all of our flaws, but I do think that there's nowhere in the Bible that says just care about how you have problems and Jesus will magically take those problems away. I think the scriptures clearly tell us that actually what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to die to self, carry our cross and walk with Jesus and, and and to turn away from our problems and to to turn to him for help, if that makes sense.
1: Absolutely, I've always really enjoyed uh, in First Corinthians 15. Paul says in verses nine and ten, he says. I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So if you look at those two verses and you try to answer the question, what changed Paul from persecutor, to incredibly influential church leader. Was it God's grace or was it his effort? Hmm. It is impossible to untangle those two things in that verse. Hmm. It's impossible. Paul doesn't want you to untangle them. He begins with grace, then goes to, but I've worked harder than everybody else. And then it goes back to, but it was also grace. You know, for for Paul, it's not an either or thing. And, And sometimes we get caught up in, it has to be one or the other. If I am relying on my own effort, then I am not trusting in grace. But we also think, oh, if it's grace, then I don't need to try at all. Paul's thinking was, it is both of these things together. You need to see God's grace at work in you and through you, but you work in collaboration with that grace to bring about spirit empowered change into your own life.
0: Yeah. And, 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 you know, that, that can sound intimidating. That can sound like, Oh wait, so is my salvation actually partially up to me? Is my sanctification process partially up to me? And I would emphatically say, no, your salvation process is up to Christ. You just are the one to receive it and open your hand to receive what he's given. Um, what we're talking about, really what it comes down to is it's a is a willingness, you know? It's a willingness to say, What are you calling me to, Jesus? And and just getting back to what she's talking about here, you know, we're talking about just really simple things like reading your Bible and praying. And if you have days like I do and like Brian does, where you just don't feel it, like you don't feel inspired to open up your Bible and read it. You don't feel like, like you feel like if I open up my Bible and read it, I'm going to get nothing. It's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. I'm going to feel like a loser of a Christian. What I would say is open yourself up to what God might be able to do. You know what I mean? Like be the piece of clay that puts itself on the potter wheel and allow the potter to work. And the reality is like, it may not always be apparent that he's working. that's kind of the same principle that we see with exercise. Like when you work out, when I work out, I don't lose a pound every time I work out. Like sometimes it takes weeks for that number on the scale to drop, but there's something happening in the background, um, as I'm submitting to the process of exercising and what it all boils down to. And what we've talked about in this series is it's, it's love. God loves you. And he just truly wants a relationship with you. Spending time with him is never going to be a net negative in your life. It's actually you fulfilling the purpose for which you were created. And so don't feel like every time you sit down with the Bible or prayer that you need to get something out of it and walk away with this amazing revelation about how you're going to go and change the world. Sometimes it's just, you're just hanging out with God and that's okay because he created you to hang out with him.
1: (laughs) You know what I mean? Does that make sense? It totally does. I, I think you use the example of exercise. Paul uses that same example in first Timothy four verses seven and eight. He says, train yourself to be godly for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. You know, so there's kind of two elements to it that the comparison between physical training and training for godliness shows that the the process is kind of the same. It, it's not always linear. It takes effort that doesn't always immediately look like it's producing results. But what do you yield in the end? Through physical training, you get a better body, you have a nicer weight, you are a little bit healthier for a certain stretch of time. But the training and godliness that you put in yields results for the rest of your life on Earth And also for the rest of eternity, Mm. you know, there is so much to be gained through training yourself towards trying to to live closer with Jesus. All of eternity is going to be about us enjoying the close relationship Jesus offers. So yeah, open yourself up to what God might do, because what God wants to do, and what we believe God will accomplish in eternity, is us enjoying undisrupted, perfectly pure relationship with him.
0: something that just came to me as we're talking about this is just I was thinking back to something that she said. She said uh, she said that she'll wake up and it's so hard to even care about reading the Bible or praying. This is just a really practical thing I want to give you and just any of you guys listening. Some of you guys are like me and you are just not at your best first thing in the morning. Um, there's a lot of people where, you know, you'll, you'll read things about productivity. It's like, ah, when you wake up, that's the golden hour. That's when you're going to be at your most productive. That has never been me. (laughs) Like I'm a night owl. Um, I am most productive usually like in the afternoon. Sometimes I get like a burst of creative energy at night. Um, in the morning it's like, I want to do like, I want to get up. I want to make something to eat. I want to drink some water and I want to like, it takes me a while to wake up. And so my encouragement for some of you guys who might be wired more like me is if reading your Bible first thing in the morning just is like the hardest thing in the world, try doing it in the afternoon. Try doing it at night. Try doing it at a time of the day where you are like the most alert and awake and energetic and see how that changes your time with the Lord. Because I I remember talking to a guy at a men's ministry uh, retreat I was at, And I brought up this concept to him. I was a teenager at the time. And he was like, you got to do your devotions in the morning, brother. Because if you don't, it's like going out to battle without your armor on. You know, like you've got to face the day with scriptures in the morning. And I was like, well, what if I put on my armor at night and sleep in it? And then wake up and I'm still wearing it, you know? And really, that makes me more prepared than you because I'm sleeping in my armor. What if there's a sneak attack at night, you know?
1: So... I love the idea of sin creeping into your window at like 3 a.m. It's like, quick, temptation, And you're like,
0: no, 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 I've got my armor. The 3 a.m. temptation is a real thing for people. So, you know, it's like, what if you just read your Bible and prayed three hours before that? Maybe you'll be better prepared. So just a thought, Mm -hmm. just a thought. I want to read something really quick that I thought was really powerful. This is from a guy named Andy Squires. I DM this to you on Instagram, Brian, but I don't think you read it because it was very long and you were probably busy. So this is my way of getting you to read it now. That sounds like me. Um, I don't know who Andy Squires is. Let me see. He, I'm looking him up. Andy Squires, his Instagram profile says, hard times, hard times, come again no more. That doesn't tell me anything about who he is. Um, I think he's a musician. All I know is that a friend texted this to me and I really like it. So I'm going to read it. Andy Squires, whoever that is, says, here's a prophetic word for you. You are not special. You are a regular person with a job and a daily life. You are not a history maker. You have a destiny, but it's a regular one. You will never be a household name. You are not a revolution. You do not hold the line. You won't win the argument. You won't be in the ministry, but if you find yourself someday that you are, don't count on being successful. You will find yourself living in the middle of a temporary kingdom, and you will plant a garden. The garden you plant will not be an idealized, romanticized kind. It will be the kind where your lack of a green thumb will hound you for the first few years, where the reality of weeds and pests and ill-conceived irrigation systems will force you to surrender some of your original assumptions about the universe. You will be abased and you will abound. Make sure you know how to do both. You will have one or two friends. Let them encourage you with candy bars and Mountain Dew. Some of your days will be wonderful, but most of them will be boring. Never mind that. There is nothing like a boring day for being alive and thanking God. You will be met with the temptation to long for the good old days back when God used to show up and do things. Don't you dare do it. Don't be afraid of being in exile in a strange season. Economic forces will cause migration. You may migrate. Blessed are you when you no longer have any context for what is happening. Blessed are you when you are drowning in the flood of critical analysis being offered. Blessed are you when every North Star has vaporized. Embrace the dryness of your heart. Embrace your lack of words. Embrace the lack of ecstasy and revelation. Go to the movies, go fishing, get some work done, have some kids. Don't go into debt as much as possible. As far as your salvation goes, your devotion to God counts for absolutely nothing. And I would add because Christ has done it all. So I read that and I was like, (laughs) I don't know if that's encouraging to you, but it it hit me a little bit hard in in a good way where I was like, Ooh, I needed to hear that.
1: Yeah, it is encouraging to hear you don't have to be one of the 10 most influential Christians in the world. <laughs> you know, I, th- I think that we we naturally idolize people who have large platforms because a lot of us know those people like right. they are known by a ton of people. So they're easy to talk about in in more settings. And we look at them and think that is what true Christian destiny looks like. Right. And it's like, no, that's what their example looked like. Yeah. You know, then and I'm sure that if we talked with most of them, it's filled with a lot more regular life stuff than we might think. You know, I I think that most Christian celebrities are like C level celebrities at best, and none of them are living like the Chris Pratt life. Right. So we just kind of have to tamp our expectations down a little bit and remember God made the regular world. Yes. The the world filled with regular people is a world God is pleased with. Yes. Not a world where it's like, I really only care about the ten exceptional people. Yeah. You know, so be one of the regular
0: people God's happy with. No, that's a that's a really good point. Because okay, you're talking about like Christian celebrities and and that was one of the things that he said that you know i think spoke to both of us uh, was the whole like you'll never be a household name thing right um you and i both are people that we want to influence people for the lord right like we want to not get our name out there and have it be about us but it's like there's kind of this idea where it's like if you really want to change the world for jesus you need to build this platform and promote yourself and get blown up and all of this stuff and okay i'm going to make a really weird analogy right Really weird, but hopefully it's going to make sense. I was at CVS recently, and I went to go ring up my items, and I got a look at the guy behind the counter, and he was just a beautiful, beautiful guy. Like, he was so good looking. He was gorgeous. Like, I'm, you know, I like girls, but I can admit when a guy is beautiful. Like, he he was just, you know, chiseled jawline, great hair, just... He was a beautiful man. And I was in my mind like, what is this guy doing at CVS in Mustang, Oklahoma? Like, why is he not out changing the world with his beauty? And I'm thinking of that analogy right now because I'm like, what the world tells us is if you are really successful, then you are beautiful. But the reality is there's just a lot of beautiful people out there and not all of them are successful. And that's okay. And what I mean by that in the Christian life is not, I'm I'm not talking about like levels of hotness or whatever. I'm talking about there are so many, (laughs) there are so many people out there who have beautiful souls. Like there are church janitors where if you sat down with them and had lunch with them, they would just blow you away with their wisdom and they're never going to stand on a stage and speak. They're never going to write a best selling book but they are beautiful souls. And I think we need to stop looking at celebrity Christians and comparing ourselves. I think we just need to embrace who are you? What is your spiritual formation looking like at this moment in your life? Who is God making you to be? Who are you going to influence? It might not be 5,000 people, but maybe there's five and in your neighborhood, in your church, in your town. And God really wants you to bless their lives because he's made you with this beautiful soul. He's taught you things, he's imparted things. And then there are so many beautiful souls out there that we are called to sit and learn from, even if they don't have the big stage or the big platform. Like, seek those people out. Who are people at your local church where they are not famous and nobody cares about what they have to say, but maybe God wants you to care about what they have to say. Like, ask them, like, hey, can can we go to lunch? I'd love to talk, I'd love to learn from you. Um, that's a big thing that'll help you fight apathy as a young Christian is find a mentor and don't go after the big, attractive, successful mentors. Um, cause honestly, they're so busy. They probably won't have the time to really invest in you. Look for the people at your local church that have wisdom and they have a lot to say, but just nobody's asking them, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the beauties of heaven will be having the time to meet some of the beautiful nameless Christians over the course of history that we have never shared their story. We have never heard any of the things that they've done and we'll have the time to sit down with them and to hear their stories and to say, wow, you, you were really shaped by Jesus. Mm-hmm. You really influenced people for the kingdom. You are the reason multiple people are here or you are the reason multiple people avoided the dangers and pitfalls of certain areas of sin. And I think some of those stories that we will celebrate in eternity are the same stories we are overlooking today and they're the stories that today we're looking at saying i don't want to be the one to live that story mm. that'll be for somebody else i want to live the everybody knows me story and be willing to play the the quote smaller role because it is not viewed as smaller by jesus mm.
0: To take a moment to get into something that she said that I thought was really interesting, insightful, and I think relatable. She said it hurts when you see your friends being so passionate, and you remember what that feels like. But you you feel like you can't just get back to how you were. That really resonated with me. I've talked about it on this show before, but I had a moment in high school where I was at camp and. It was that night of camp, you know, where everybody's crying and, you know, last night of camp and just there, you could just feel the spirit moving in the room, right? Everybody's having these very spiritual, emotional experiences of God. And I just felt like nothing. I did not feel the spirit move. I felt nothing. I felt dead inside. And I remember being like 16 years old and being like, am I actually a Christian? You know? And I, I was. was. And, you know, those of you guys who've heard me preach or listen to this podcast, you've probably heard that story a million times, but just that, that idea of God speaking to me and being like, Hey, my relationship with you has nothing to do with how you feel. Um, and that's something I'll always remember, but I do, I read this and I'm just like, ah, man, that resonates a lot. I, I, I've talked to, I remember a night at a camp, another camp when I was a youth pastor talking to one of my students and they were just like, yeah, this is really hard. Because all of my friends are having these very deep spiritual experiences and I don't feel anything. And I just think this is a reoccurring thing that many Christians go through um, where they're like, why don't I feel passionate?
1: I definitely understand what this feels like. And I've had that same kind of experience of everyone around me is having these kind of spiritual breakthroughs and these spiritual moments of, of real growth and a, a very profound sense of the spirit being with them. And I would sit there and say, Lord, why them? And not me, and I remember in those moments, God graciously showing me why do you think you deserve them more than anyone else and I, I know that God had to do a lot with me to break me out of spiritual selfishness I, I think we're all kind of prone to see ourselves as the main character of our own stories, yes. you know we yes. We narrate our little worlds where, you know, we are we are J.D. in Scrubs. We are never the Todd. (laughs) We are we're never janitor like we're never one of the fringe characters. We're always the main one that the story is revolving around. And part of what I think we need to step out of is just what you're saying. You know, Jesus Speaking to you, my relationship with you has nothing to do with what you feel. Our relationship with Jesus also has nothing to do with how other people's relationships are progressing. And if we're going to stay in spaces where we are hurt by the successes of another, we're hurt by the spiritual advances of another, we are mentally dividing the church. We are mentally getting in the way of what God wants to do. We are called to celebrate the advances of one another. And we need to be really careful not to shift into they're getting ahead. That means I'm falling behind and turning their gain into our feeling of inadequacy or or letting it become uh, a root of jealousy or bitterness within us.
0: I 100% agree with everything you just said. Like, full, full stop, we don't want to turn ourselves into the main character, which a lot of us do, where it's like, why aren't I having this amazing experience? Because I should. I am the main character. Everyone else is just the side supporting cast. Like, this makes no sense. And it's like, well, no, you don't know everybody's story. You don't know what everyone's been through. And there's a great potential that Jesus And I'm not just saying this to the the girl who wrote this in. I'm saying this to everybody listening. Jesus Mm -hmm. might be meeting your friends and other people in your life in very specific ways that he knows that they need to be met in that moment. Your relationship, same thing that Jesus said to me that night when I was a kid, your relationship with him has nothing to do with how you feel. But I will say, I do get why it's painful. Like if you're going through a dry season where you're like, oh my gosh, I get up every day and I try to read my Bible and I try to pray and you know some days I do it some days I don't but like I'm pretty consistent throughout the week and I, I feel like I'm trying but I feel like I get nothing I feel like God's not speaking to me and I just feel dead inside and it doesn't make sense because I'm actually trying and making an effort and then you have a friend who's like oh my gosh in my time in the word today oh man God just spoke to me so deeply and richly and he answered all of these burning questions I've had for years. And I feel like I have so much direction for my life. And I just feel this strong sense of God's love and his care for me. And, and you're just sitting there like what the heck, like am I chopped liver? Like, it almost feels like, you know, if you, if you've ever been a sibling and having like a parent play favorites, you know what I mean? Where it's like, they're withholding. It Mm -hmm. feels like they're withholding. It feels like God's like a withholding parent where he's like spending time with the sibling and showering praise on the sibling and, and, just giving all of this wisdom and love and care and insight. And then it's like, you're asking them things and trying to spend time with them. And it's like, they're just sitting there silent is that's, that's one of the hardest things about relationship with God stuff. It's like, yes, we have a book. Yes. We have a Bible. Yes. We have tons of words that have been written, but it's hard to replace that feeling of like, oh my gosh, God is speaking to me right now and I
1: feel fired up
0: and I'm mm-hmm. passionate. Does that make sense? Like it, I get I get yeah, the pain, no.
1: I get the pain. I definitely get the pain. I, I get where it comes from. I would simply say getting the pain is not licensed to wallow in the pain. And I'm not saying that the person who wrote this is doing that. I'm I'm speaking from personal experience. Yeah, I was gonna ask, where have, you, I, have you been through I that? Have, I have had that pain and then I, I have wallowed in it. Mm-hmm. I have seen other people get ministry opportunities that I didn't get. And yeah. what it took me a long time to sort through was that the waiting and the silence are part of the relationship. Yeah, They are not the interruption of the relationship. Yeah, and, and sometimes they were because of things that interrupted the relationship. But those were things like my sin and my stubbornness and my lack of desire to hear from God and my thinking I was putting a strong effort in and not actually doing that it was never simply the result of God playing favorites but wallowing in that feeling can only contribute to you remaining in that place yeah as opposed to seeing the path forward
0: yeah I would I would almost argue and this is not doctrine this is just my opinion Mm -hmm. I would almost argue that for especially people like me who are more emotionally driven and growing up in the church, there's a lot of people who grew up like me, where you attach your idea of how your relationship with God is doing based on how you are feeling, which is totally what I did for many years, like just that roller coaster of like, I feel really spiritual. I feel really attached to Jesus. I feel really emotionally connected to Jesus. I'm doing so good. And then like, I feel nothing. I am a terrible Christian or God doesn't love me. I would almost argue that everybody who's wired that way, like I am, I was going to say was, but I still am. If I'm honest, I think, God very often for people like that allows us to go through dry seasons specifically because he's trying to teach us to not rely on the emotions and to coast on the emotions to define what our relationship to him is. And I'm actually thankful that I've learned how to walk through dry seasons. When I used to walk through dry seasons, it felt like being in a desert with no water in sight. And now it feels like I'm in a desert, but I have this never ending canteen of water. Like I'm hoping I'll get to an oasis where I can swim and just, you know, drink and just, you know, it's just this amazing experience. But it's not that I don't have the water. I do. It's with me. You know, I've got smaller doses of it, but it, it doesn't go away. And I've realized that is when I'm walking through those dry seasons, he's with me. He hasn't left me. He wrote me an entire book. If I want to know what he has to say, that's a whole nother thing. Stop reading the Bible like it's your personal fortune cookie to tell you exactly what you need to hear about whatever situation you're going through at school or work and in your family life and treat it more like this is God's manifesto for what his mission is and what his message is and what he wants us as humans to do in this world and, and the, the the mission of God and the heart of God and, and all of this stuff. And then, yeah, occasionally he does speak through it into specific situations I'm going through in my life. That does happen, but that's not the point. I grew up treating the Bible like that fortune cookie and not like this is God's love letter explaining who he is and what he's about and if you keep that in mind, you're, you're always going to get something out of the Bible. Even days where you read it and you don't get a ton, you're at least going to be attached to that big picture story. It's like we talked about in the episode in this series, wake up to the story, right? Once you understand the story you're in, it's a lot harder to be apathetic. If you think the story is about you and your life, you're going to be disappointed when you read the Bible at times because it's not going to say anything about what little things you're going through in your daily life. But if you understand that you're you're a piece of
1: this greater story, the Bible's always going to speak to that. And even you're using that phrase, getting something out of it, <laughs> which is something we all use in, in church circles about reading the Bible to gain something from it. What's in it for me? What... W- And that's the thing. What we often mean by that is getting something out of it is finding something that brings me peace or comfort or clarity in a current situation of my life. We don't often talk about our reading as what did you learn about God in this passage? Yeah. What was made clear about his mission? What was made clear about what he wants to accomplish in the world? And that can become a way where we break out of the, right, Lord, you're not really speaking directly to something I'm going through right now because what you may be trying to teach me is about you and isn't actually about me. And as I learn what is true about you, it will shape and inform what needs to be made real in me. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, fully fully agree. And I I think it kind of plays into what she's talking about here in, in her letter. She said, She finds that she's often holding God at arm's length instead of just letting him actually be God. And I feel like, I don't know if this is, for, for you who wrote this, I don't know if this is your situation, but if you find yourself treating God and treating the scriptures and treating Christianity as something that's supposed to enrich and benefit our life, when we go through dry seasons and it doesn't feel like it's enriching and benefiting our life, then we will find ourselves holding God at arm's length because it's like, hey man, you're supposed to be helping me with what I'm going through, but every time I get you involved, it's just kind of boring or you tell me to change, you tell me to, you know, I need to repent of something, I need to grow in something and so for me, at least in my life, that's when I hold God at arm's length where it's like, God, I have so much going on, like I don't have time to deal with this whole potter and clay thing, you shaping me, like I've got my own stuff going on And what God's trying to say to me is you can't even handle your daily life and the stress and the bills and the job and the wife and the kid. You can't even handle that stuff without letting me shape you like that's a part of it. But beyond that, like I'm actually calling you to be a part of this great big thing, this great big mission to rescue and redeem and restore the world. Like and it's not even that he even needs me to be a part of it. He just wants me to be not because I'm special or I'm really good at it. You know, I've learned over the years how expendable and replaceable I am. Um, it's he's just he's he's the dad who owns the ice cream shop and he's just really stoked to have his kid scoop in ice cream scoops with him. You know,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, I think when it comes to the idea of holding God at arm's length, it's helpful to ask yourself, what am I trying to stop God from doing mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I remember the the season where I most actively held God at arm's length was right after the move to Portland fell through and the move to the Bible College opened up all within the same week. That oh, was yeah. a radical change in the plan. Yeah. And I actively remember one morning in California, just started up at the Bible College, should have been in a season of, Lord, you were faithful, Mm. Lord, you provided. And I remember reading my Bible and praying afterwards and saying something to the effect of, Lord, when you get involved, you shift things up way too rapidly. We we should take a break for a little bit. Like, like, let's not talk about my life plans. Let's not talk about where things are headed. Like, I really remember, like... (laughs) defining the parameters of like, these are the things I do not want you to talk to me about, Lord, because I am really uncomfortable with how quickly you move stuff around. I am not super happy with how exactly we got to where we got. And, It was something where Jesus was really gracious. And then a couple months later, I was like, how come I don't feel like God is speaking? And it's like, I literally asked him not to, (laughs) but by, by working through what was it that I was trying to prevent, it became a lot easier to figure out like, Oh, why do I feel like he's not speaking? Because I am, I am pushing away his hand of intervention. I am pushing away his ability to shape and change in these different seasons. And When you actually get down to what you may be trying to stop God from doing, like I I don't think in most cases we would say like, you know, it would be better for me if God didn't help plan my future (laughs) or like. You know, what would be better for me if God stopped telling me that I was too angry, like whatever it is, once you actually name that thing that you're trying to stop God from doing, then you have a really difficult choice to make of am I going to hang on to this enough where I'm going to honestly tell God, I don't want you to do this. Leave me alone in this. Or are we going to use that as a learning moment of, all right, Lord, in my heart, I feel like it would be better if you left this alone, but that would leave me selfish and desperate and on my own. And I, I, I am am having a hard time giving this to you, but I want to learn to do it anyway.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it just, it, it does. It does make so much sense. Everything you're saying. I think we all do that thing where we hold God at arm's length and we hold things not open-handed, but close-handed like dreams, aspirations. I think every single one of us has things in our mind, like checklists where it's like, Before I die, I really want to get this. I really want to get that. I want to accomplish this. And what if God were to say to us, like, hey, six things on that list of 10 are never going to happen for you. And you need need to be okay with that. Like, how are we going to react? You know, I mean, I think about people I know where Mm -hmm. they are in their 40s and they still... You know, haven't even gotten married or even in a serious relationship and I've talked to them and like that is so hard and frustrating but for the ones that have submitted to God and said I'm going to stop holding this closed handed but I'm just going to leave it open handed if you want me to be in a relationship then I'll be in one and if not that's going to be okay it's just it's hard though it's, it's so hard kind of like what you're saying about you know like locking the door and then it's like why didn't he come in like well you locked the door um, mm-hmm. and I think to some extent we all do that, like just the other day. So I've always had a heart to be a missionary. I grew up just loving stories of missionaries and I've, I've spent time. I've gone on short-term missions trips all around the world. I've been to tons of countries. Um, I was planning on going to Ireland and then like, you know, those of you guys who've listened to the show for a long time, Brian and I both had very, uh, life changing moments where we both thought we were going somewhere. You thought you were going to Portland. I thought I was going to Ireland. And then God said, Nope. You're going to other places, and for me it was Oklahoma. Um, but even though I've always had this idea of like, I want to be a missionary and I want to go wherever you want to go, Lord. The other day my wife and I we were on the weather app and it there's this heat map where it shows you how hot certain places are. And I was scanning it and I was like, Oh, that's interesting. Like Portland is like cold right now, but in Oklahoma, like you can see like in Portland it's kind of blue on the map. In 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 Oklahoma, it's like red. I was scanning the map and I, I went over to Africa and instead of just being red, it was like red and like orange, like flames. Like it looked like it was on fire. And my first thought was like, God, I don't want to be a missionary in Africa. Like, please don't ever send me to Africa. I will die. (laughs) My wife will die. My child will die. Like we will die. Like we will literally like right now with how I feel with how hot it is in Oklahoma, the thought of this plus like 20, 30 more degrees. I'm like, I would die. Like I would not want to preach the gospel to anybody. I would just want to die as painlessly as possible and as quickly as possible. <laughs> I would get off the plane and just be like, how how fast can I die? And, enough is enough, Lord. Right. So um, to some extent, I think we all do that in different ways. There's certain things where it's like, I don't want that for my life. I don't want to ever go through that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to serve you in that way, Lord. I just I don't want that. And that is holding God at arm's length. And I'm just I'm just trying to relate and say that we all do it. But I will say that in my life, there's been so many times where the thing that I didn't want actually ended up being exactly what I needed, and I didn't realize it at the time until I actually gave in and obeyed. And God, if you're listening to this podcast, he doesn't listen to our podcast. <laughs> I was trying to make a, I was trying to make a joke about how uh, we were talking about our wives don't listen to the podcast, you know? God, if you're listening, <laughs> uh, he, he doesn't listen to this show. Don't worry. He
1: doesn't listen to this. He's like, no, I'm...
0: I'm at the recordings.
1: <laughs> I hear the stuff you guys cut out. <laughs> I hear it in pre-production. I don't need to hear the finished product. I was there
0: when you wrote the notes. Anyway, I'm just saying, God, please don't send me to Africa. That's that's how I'm ending this, this ramble.
1: I do like the idea that you're bringing up of the things that I thought were the exact opposite of what I wanted turned out to be exactly what I needed even less dramatically, some of the things that I am most satisfied in now and some of the things that I find most fulfillment in and I am most grateful that God brought my way. They're not the opposite of things that I wanted, but they're just things that were never on the radar. Like I using that example of I gave God my list of 10 things that I really wanted to see happen. It's not like he just took the list and crossed it off and just like crossed off different pieces of it. He gave me a different list. And it's like, actually, these are the things that you're going to care about. These are the things that will really fulfill you. Like, trust me, I know you better. I I have other stuff for you that will lead to a different life than you are envisioning, but are not designed to make you miserable. Also, great example of how fickle we are with things and how we don't deserve to be in control of our own lives. That like the will of God should be thwarted by temperature. (laughs) i'm just like no lord it's too hot i and even like there's a biblical example like when god wanted to mess with jonah a little bit to show him how much he cares about himself and not the people of nineveh like he makes it hot and then he makes it shady and then he makes it hot again and like that was all jonah needed to go from i hate these people oh dear god please help me no i hate them again and also please kill me (laughs) Like, all that changed was temperature. Yeah. Like, we are genuinely that fickle. No, totally. I mean, outside
0: circumstances can totally bring out our flesh. I noticed that the other day, uh, even just being a dad, I was in the kitchen with my wife, and we got into a slight disagreement about something. And it was really slight. It was just how to do the dishes. She had a certain way she likes me to do it. I had my own method and had completely forgotten when she had taught me her method a long time ago. And she was trying to explain it to me and I wasn't super into it. And then the baby started like talking over us. And like, while we were trying to talk, he also was like escalating and getting louder and louder. And just that he had a third
1: method he wanted you to use.
0: (laughs) He's like, you just, you drool on it, dad, use the drool, work with the drool. Um, But just him talking over us and being really loud in that moment really escalated like how frustrated we got with one another in that moment. And yeah, I mean, that just reminds me about how human we all are, like how the slightest inconvenience. I I heard somebody once say how it's like I am a practicing Christian. But when I have a budget problem, I become a functional atheist. And I, when I heard that, I was like, oh, my gosh, that is so true. Mm-hmm. There are so many times where I run into a problem with my budget or my finances, and my first thought isn't, well, God, how are you going to take care of this? And my first thought is just like, there is no hope. And if 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 I truly believe in God, then like, wouldn't I always have my first response be one of going to? There is always hope. But why, why do I go to we're doomed you know it's just it's the humanity side of things i think We've talked a lot about our humanity and how it's an obstacle at times to us reading the Bible, praying, and we can get apathetic. And there's one thing I thought of just, and I'll I'll close out this section with this. She talked about the idea of reading our Bible just to check off a box instead of reading it to be changed by the text. That's so good. I would encourage you guys to go back and listen to an episode that Brian and I did years ago called devotions or devoted that just that that's a whole episode on that like why do we read the bible is it to just do our devos because it's just what a christian is supposed to do or are we doing it out of a true devotion to who jesus is and what he's about and you know when reading the bible the question is like can we always expect transformation like is that the point of reading the bible is it like i'm reading this because it's supposed to transform me and sometimes it doesn't feel like it transforms us sometimes it does sometimes it doesn't here's what i would argue It is a slow process of becoming like Christ. It is like nutrition. You don't always see its effect, but eventually down the road, you see its effect, whether you become more healthy or less healthy. There was an illustration I heard years ago where there was some columnist in like a newspaper that was like talking about sermons and was just like, what's the point of sermons? Sermons are stupid. I've heard thousands of sermons. I grew up going to mass. I've heard tons of sermons, but they don't, they don't change me. Pointless. And a pastor read that article and his response, his thought was like, yeah, you know, what if I was like, what's the point of meals? I've eaten thousands of meals. I don't remember a single one. What's the point? They're stupid. And it's like, <laughs> the point is that those meals were, they were, they were neut- neut- neutralizing. No, <laughs> what am I trying to say? Um <laughs> The point is, those meals were nourishing you. Even though you didn't realize it, even though you can't remember every single meal. I don't remember what I ate yesterday. (laughs) I don't remember every single meal, but I know that they've had an effect. And that, that can be a big cure for apathy, is realizing that even though you don't see what God is doing, he is always working through every sermon, every time in the word, every time in prayer, he's always working. That can help us fight apathy, to know that even though we don't feel what is happening, When Jesus is involved, things are always happening. We've been talking for a while as we close out this episode, I would like to spend a moment just reading another great response that this same young lady wrote. Because she shared her struggle with apathy, and we talked a lot about the struggle. Um, I'm gonna share what she wrote about resisting apathy because I, I I tried to ask what if what are your struggles, what are your honest, real struggles, but then what methods have you found to be good in resisting? And so I thought that'd be a good a great way to close. Let's read what she said, and we can talk about it for a minute, and then we'll we'll get out of here. Here's what she said. I asked what ways have you found helpful in overcoming apathy, and this young lady wrote with a ton of wisdom. She wrote honesty, being honest with God and with the people around you. No matter how much rebuke I think I'm going to get from God, I'm always met with compassion and love first. I welcome the discipline because I know that's also love, but he's very gentle when you're just honest with him and with others. And it helps others to be honest too, because most of the time you're not the only one, you just think that you are. And learning to actually spend time with Jesus by not only reading the word, but meditating on it, praying through it, and following it. So good. She says, also realizing that you will never be like you were before you went through this. Every season you go through will bring you to a new level of relationship with God and you won't go back to how things were before. You'll actually be better than how things were before if you allow God to work in the midst of your feelings being all over the place. Oftentimes feelings are the last thing to follow in obedience to Christ, which I thought was a great, that was a great ending line. I love that. Oftentimes feelings are the last thing to follow in obedience to Christ.
1: I think this is filled with some really great points. In my time pastoring, the number one lesson I have learned is that sin thrives in darkness and sin is crippled in the light. And it seems that no matter what the situation, honesty is the way past sin. Mm. It is the only way that Jesus has prescribed for us Mm. of you have anger issues that you know are sinful. Great. Bring it to the light and let people pray for you. Mm. You have of greed issues. Okay, bring it to the light and let people pray for you. That it is the only path forward in any circumstance I see where sin is creeping in, and so it makes sense that it's the answer here. Of bring it to the light. We know that because Jesus was willing to take on the cross for us, He is going to continue to respond to our need for Him to overcome sin. You know, He He showed up in the biggest wo- moment and in the biggest way. He He did what was most costly to Him with what the bible calls the joy set before him Mm. so whenever we come to him saying jesus we have recognized sin and we need you to forgive us and heal us why would he begin with how dare you Mm. he begins with this is exactly what i want for you this is a good thing let's walk through this together
0: Yeah. Yes, Jesus is the God who is not apathetic towards our sin. He is like the doctor who doesn't look at our sin and say, hey, it's fine. He looks at it and says, it's cancer. We need to cut it out. It's not because he hates you. It's because he loves you. In the same way, God, he's, he's compassionate. He's loving. Like discipline is a good thing because it comes from a place of caring, of wanting to remove that cancerous virus one thing I really liked that she said at the end was she said, you'll actually be better than how things were before. If you allow God to work in the midst of your feelings being all over the place. And then she said, again, oftentimes feelings are the last thing to follow in obedience to Christ. So I think that there's an interesting point. I don't even know if she realizes what she just said, but when I think of, conversion, right, conversion to Christianity, oftentimes the feelings are the first thing to come. It's this new experience and it's like saved and I'm surrounded by all of these amazing people who love me and want the best for my life and they want me to follow God and they want to help me and I can confess my sins to people and they're not going to judge me and they're going to help me through it. Like all of these positive things. Conversion, oftentimes feelings is the first thing to come. But when it comes to obedience, oftentimes feelings are the last thing to come. Oftentimes when it comes to obedience, it's like, shoot, I don't feel anything. I just know that God told me to do this. If, if anything, I feel dread. I feel hesitation, you know? Obeying God oftentimes for me doesn't lead to warm, fuzzy feelings. It leads more to doubt and frustration and discouragement. But I think that in time, the feelings do follow. And what, I, what I've realized is that when I choose to fight through my apathy a lot of times i do feel this sense of closeness to the lord that is powerful but it doesn't always come right away sometimes i'll obey god and i don't feel anything and then like two months later i something happens and i realize there was a reason god wanted me to do that and now it makes sense or even a year later where it's like at the time obeying god made no sense now it makes sense and and now i feel something i was watching uh the Bible project video um, called The Test. Um, I had never seen it. It was from a year ago and I totally missed it. And there's this scene where Tim Mackey's talking about how there's two doors that are presented to us, Satan's door and God's door. And throughout the video, it's interesting because Satan's door always looks like it's this green pasture, while God's door that he wants us to step through always looks like we're stepping into fire. <laughs> and the point that they're trying to make is that Satan always offers us the easy way out that looks very attractive. God says, follow me. And following him, the promise of the reward and heaven and the payoff, it's there. But following God often is, it's like passing through flames. It's like passing through difficulty and struggle. And it was so interesting because he was talking about Abraham and he was talking about how Abraham's test, the door of fire Abraham was called to walk through, was sacrificing his son. And I was sitting there on the couch in my office and it's like, that door appeared and Abraham was there and Abraham's obeying and he's lifting up the knife to sacrifice his son. And he's like, there's like tears in Abraham's eyes. And then like that door of flames appears and Abraham and Isaac pass through it. And then on the other side, Isaac is now standing beside Abraham and he's been replaced by this lamb. I don't know when I saw that dude, it made me emotional. It hit me and it was like, I was thinking about Jesus and I was like, God didn't put Abraham through that test because he's some weird, twisted, pagan God who loves sacrifice. He never intended for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. But he wanted to see, is Abraham loyal to me? Is he obedient? And then, I mean, the thing that I got from that moment I was when I was watching it, I was like, wow, God is actually not just showing Abraham, but all of us. He's showing us, like, sacrificing a child would be a very big deal, a very painful emotional deal. And then when you know the entire context, you can see the story and go, "Wow, that's what God did for us." Like he sacrificed his child. As a dad, I can't I can't imagine that. And it's hard for me, it's hard for me to be apathetic when I when I allow these images and these things to actually preach the gospel to my heart and my soul. And that that's just how I would end. The last thing I'll say is preach the gospel to yourself like when you read the bible listen when you watch youtube videos like the bible project listen when you go when you hear it, when you go to church and there's a sermon listen and then take what you learn and preach the gospel to yourself and if you can do that it's going to help you to not be apathetic because you're going to remember what the story is all about the story is about love it's about a god who was willing so much to love you that he was not willing to lose you and so he offered himself up that's the last thing i'll say
1: I think the last thing that I would add is my favorite part in this piece of the response is most of the time, you're not the only one. You just think you are. Mm -hmm. I think we could upgrade that to you are never the only one. You're just the only one you know of. You're just the only person you know of going through that struggle right now. But you're definitely not the only one. You're a thousand percent not the only one. The Bible specifically says that with every temptation you face, it is referred to as common to man. Mm And I think that it is important to recognize if it is something that other people have gone through, then it is something that other people have found the way out of. And so preach the gospel to yourself. Find other people that will also preach it to you. And that will show you how the gospel impacts this specific sector of your life, because this is part of why God gave us community. Amen. So that when we're confused, other people can be clear and their clarity can become our clarity. And then we can be part of passing that down to other people along the line. That is the, the interlocking ladder of Christian growth that God intended throughout all time until he returns.
0: That's good. Thanks so much for writing that. Thanks so much for saying that in. Very thoughtful, like a very thoughtful, well, well-written response to my questions. I love your honesty about the apathy that you go through. And hopefully you're hearing just from what Brian said, you're not the only one. Brian and I have both, you know, as two guys who've been in ministry for a long time, we're both saying that we go through this too. Not just that we went through in the past. We have seasons where we go through this as well. So absolutely continue to preach the gospel to yourself and continue to find other people on the journey who will help point you to Christ. Thanks for listening, and this has been great. I enjoyed this, (laughs) and uh, we'll, we'll see you guys on the next time. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Good Lion Podcast. If you like our show, please take a minute to give us a review on iTunes. It seriously helps so much. The more reviews we get, the more people will find us. And so if you want to help the show, please just go on iTunes and leave a quick review. We also love questions from listeners and we love to do episodes focused on questions. So if you have a question and you want us to talk about it on the show, send it to our email address, which is at gmail.com. Send us a question. We'd love to talk about it on the show. The Good Lion Podcast is a production of the Calvary Global Network, and it's produced by myself, Aaron Salvato, and my co-host, Brian Higgins. Our show is a part of the Good Lion Podcast Network, a network of Christian podcasters that Brian and I started with our friends. Check out our website, goodlion.io, where you can find a ton of other Christ-centered, encouraging, and equipping podcasts. Our goal with this ministry is to reach people all over the world with Christ-centered content that helps them as they walk closer with Jesus. If you like what we do and you want to support us, go to goodlion.io support. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.